Today, we wrap up Luke, and here uh, the Lord Jesus has engaged uh, two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He's uh, gotten into conversation with them and uh, opened up the scriptures to them to show them that all of the Bible points to him, his suffering and his glory. And uh, he has opened their eyes to see who he really is. And when these two disciples realize that they've been spending time with the risen Christ, they've run back the seven miles to Jerusalem to tell the other disciples that they've been with the risen Christ, only to find out that these other disciples have also heard the good news. And that's where we jump into the story today. But first, let me say a brief prayer before we look to God's word. And let's ask him for his help today. Father, uh, please help me to communicate the truth of this passage, and please help all of us to hear in faith. Cause our hearts to burn within us today as we hear Christ speak, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Let's hear God's word, Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them, and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. Well, I wonder if you can recall where you were on the morning of December 6th, 2015, around about this time. I can actually tell you where many of you were. It was a Sunday morning, and many of you were here in this very room listening to me say, Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke as we begin this new series. Now, we haven't been in the Gospel of Luke 
The whole time since December of 2015, we have taken a break to work through Paul's letter to the Galatians, and we've had some other sermons here and there. But when all is said and done, it has taken us about three years to work our way through Luke's gospel. I've said to some of you throughout the week, uh, something that struck me about that is the length of time it has taken us to go through the gospel of Luke is roughly equivalent to the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. From Luke chapter 3 to Luke chapter 24. It's amazing what God has accomplished in those three short years. In particular, that last week of Jesus' life uh, in his time in and around Jerusalem. The reality is we are here this morning because of those three years. We are here this morning in particular because of that last week of our Lord Jesus in Jerusalem and his death and his resurrection. And we are here this morning because we believe Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And we're here this morning because we believe, as this passage teaches us, that a mark of the disciples of Jesus who believe that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, despite all of the struggles and the setbacks of this life, one of the things that will mark out their lives is joy. It's interesting to me that that is the note, the resounding note on which Luke ends his gospel. Jesus giving his disciples joy because he's risen from the dead. So as Jesus appears in the room to the disciples as they're talking about the fact that some of them have been with the risen Christ, we're told in verse 41 that they disbelieved for joy. We'll come back to that a little bit later. And at the end of the passage, when Jesus departs for the ascension, enters into glory at the right hand of the Father, we we read in verse 52, they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And so this passage from start to finish, it's the message of Jesus bringing his disciples joy. And so Luke, I think knowing that he's going to write a companion volume, which we know as the book of Acts of the Apostles, gives us here a very condensed short summary of the time that Jesus spent with his disciples over the course of several weeks from the day of his resurrection to the day of his ascension. And the whole passage is sandwiched between these two statements about joy. They disbelieved for joy and they returned and worshipped with great joy. And so the question I want us to ask today is, as we look at this passage, how does Jesus bring his disciples joy? And I want to say four things. The first thing is this. Jesus brings his disciples joy by giving them certainty about his resurrection from the dead. It's interesting uh, in the next volume that Luke writes in Acts chapter 1 verse 3, Luke begins that book by telling us that over these several weeks, Jesus appeared to the disciples and the apostles, spending time with them, 
to give them many proofs. Older translations say many infallible proofs that he had risen from the dead. He showed himself to the disciples and the apostles to prove that he had really, truly risen from the grave. And, you know, I think, I think Luke anticipates how some people might try to explain away the reality of Christ's resurrection as this first generation of disciples will eventually go out and start declaring Christ crucified and raised. I think Luke anticipates that some people are going to hear that and say, yeah, I know what you think you saw, but it, it must have just been some kind of apparition. You know, you were, you were just seeing things, maybe, maybe some kind of hallucination, but there's no way that you saw Jesus alive because dead people stay dead. Isn't it interesting when you look at this, that's exactly how these first disciples processed this experience. They thought they were seeing a spirit. Just, it's, it's, it's almost comical because just a few moments ago, you know, here they are in this room swapping stories about Jesus risen from the grave. And then when Jesus actually appears to them, their gut response is, it's a ghost. <laughs> and they're startled and they're frightened because that's how unbelievable it was to them. You know, it's one more reason to believe Luke is telling you the truth about what happened. They weren't, they weren't making this stuff up. When they encounter the risen Jesus, they just simply couldn't take it in. And that's why I think Luke says they disbelieve for joy. You know, when you read that, you, maybe you think, hang on a second, is there a typo in my English Bible here? Shouldn't it say they believed for joy? No, that's not what it says. It says they disbelieved for joy for joy. They were so stunned by the sheer joy that Jesus was alive that they, they simply couldn't believe what was happening. I mean, have you ever experienced anything like that? Something that has brought you so much joy that you can hardly believe that it's true, that it's really happening, that you're not just dreaming it up. That's how these disciples felt. And so Luke is telling the story, I think, the way that it really was. They they couldn't believe it. Even when they saw Jesus with their own eyes, such was the wonder of Jesus risen from the dead. But here's my favorite part as Luke goes on to tell the story. Remember, Jesus is bringing his disciples joy by giving them assurance of his resurrection from the dead. He appears to them. They're startled. They're frightened. They're out of their wits. And, and Jesus says, hey guys, you got anything to eat? You know, you get the point. Is a spirit, an immaterial spirit, going to ask for a bite to eat? No. But a living Savior with a true human body, who even in his resurrected, glory, glorified body, gets hungry and wants something to eat. And so one of the disciples says, hey, we've, we've got some broiled fish. So Jesus says, I'll take that. And he in front of the disciples, takes a bite of the fish, chews the fish, swallows the fish. His body begins to digest the fish. See, spirits don't do that kind of thing. That's the point here. But you see what Jesus is doing as a whole. He's, he's actually, I think, calming them down a bit. They're, 
They're freaking out. (laughs) They're all out of sorts, startled and frightened. They're in shock, but at the same time, filled with joy at what they are seeing. After all, they had witnessed their beloved Jesus die. They had seen him nailed to the cross, hoisted up to die. They had seen him draw his last breath. They had seen the soldiers confirm it with a spear. They had seen his corpse taken down off of the cross. They had seen his body wrapped in burial clothes and taken by Joseph of Arimathea to, a, to a, an unused tomb and the gravestone rolled in front. And now here he is before them eating fish. What in the world is going on? And so he says to them, in effect, in verse 39, look, it's, it's really me. See my hands and feet. Touch and see. He's presenting himself to them. He's coming to them to show them that he really is alive and that he's with them again. And so Jesus is bringing them joy by giving them certainty of his resurrection. And dear friends, we need to say this, that there is no more stubborn fact in the history of the world from creation till now than the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why why do you think these men and women were prepared to die for Christ and count it as joy to suffer for Christ's sake? It's because they had seen Jesus alive. Because they had seen him and touched him and spent time with him and had a meal with him. They had learned about the resurrection They had learned about what the resurrection meant for them, what it meant for the world, what it meant for the future. And it filled them with joy and made them willing to lay down their own lives to tell others about this Jesus crucified and raised. And so Jesus brings joy to his disciples by giving them certainty of his resurrection. And secondly, he gives them joy by opening their minds to the message of Scripture. In verses 44 and 45, he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Now, if you were here last week, that should sound familiar. It's reminiscent of what Jesus did with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. He pointed them to the scriptures. He showed them how the scriptures find their fullest meaning and fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And as Jesus expounded the scriptures to them, they found their hearts burning within them as he opened up the scriptures to them. So what caused that burning within their hearts? It was that while Jesus explained the scriptures to them, he simultaneously opened their minds and hearts to understand and receive the message of scripture. What produced heat in the heart was a mind opened to the truth. And Jesus took them through the Old Testament scriptures like he had with with Cleopas and his companion. And he said, in effect, don't you see how all of the scriptures point to me, find their fullest meaning in me, how they 
don't make any sense apart from my suffering and glory. The law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms. It's a Hebrew way of summarizing the entire Old Testament in its threefold division. And Jesus is saying, don't you see how this points to me and how it's been fulfilled and is being fulfilled and will be fulfilled in my suffering and glory? Now, friends, this is what pastors try to do, or at least it's what pastors ought to try to do whenever a pastor preaches to say from the scriptures, don't don't you see how this points to Jesus and who he is and what he's done and what it means for us and what it means to belong to him, what it means for our lives. And, and I hope as well that this is what we try to do when we speak to others about the scriptures, showing them how the scriptures point us to Jesus, saying it's all about him. Look to Jesus, trust in Jesus, turn to Jesus, follow Jesus. The scriptures are saying over and over again because he's everything you need. But I think we need to also recognize this as we're considering this idea that there's, there's something that you and I cannot do. You and I cannot open people's minds. Right? We, we can't turn on the lights. No matter how well we explain, no matter how clearly we speak, no matter how we reason with them, we can never open people's minds. But the great thing that Luke is teaching us in this passage is that Jesus can open minds. Jesus can turn the lights on. I think Luke loved this idea because and he's already mentioned it twice in this chapter. And he'll mention it again in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 16, when Paul gets to Philippi. And there's no synagogue in Philippi, so Paul goes down to the river where there's a place to pray. And there are several women gathered, and Luke tells us what they said to them. Luke says, we spoke the word of God to them, and the Lord opened Lydia's heart. And you see those two different things going on there? The word of God being spoken, and the, the mind and heart being opened to receive, to, uh, to receive the Lord Jesus, to trust him, to love him and serve him. That's what Jesus in his resurrection power did for these disciples. And that's what Jesus in his resurrection power is able to do in our lives as well. And so now having opened their minds to the, the true message of scripture, Jesus says in verse 46, it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. In other words, all of the Bible is focused, centered on, fulfilled in the suffering and glory of the Savior. And now that the Savior has entered into his glory, here's what's going to happen, Jesus is saying. That this message of repentance and forgiveness is going to burst forth from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Now when Jesus uses the words, it is written, I, I wonder if you've pondered that. What, what's Jesus referring to when he says, as it is written? Some people stumble over that and say, well, that's not in the Old Testament, word for word. So what's going on here? I don't think Jesus is referring to just one passage. Rather, he's bringing together the message of Scripture. And so perhaps in mind, he has passages like 
uh, Genesis chapter 12, when Abraham, uh, God said to Abraham, uh, in your seed, now seed's one of those funny words that can be plural and singular. In Galatians, you remember, Paul says, who is the seed? The seed is Jesus Christ. And so God is saying to Abraham, in your seed, the nations of the world will be blessed. Or maybe Psalm 2, when the divine father says to his son, ask of me and I will give the nations to you as an inheritance. Or passage like Isaiah 49, where the Savior is called the light of the nations. And so Jesus gives them, them joy by giving them certainty of his resurrection, by opening their minds to the message of scripture, and third, by giving them the Great Commission. Now, what is the Great Commission? What is the charge that Jesus gives to these disciples, to the apostles, and by extension to his church today? It is the command of our risen Lord to go into all the world and to tell men and women and boys and girls that in the Lord Jesus Christ there is the offer of the forgiveness of sins. And in order for them to come to Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, something has to happen because they are not going to be able to turn around and come to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins without turning from the sins for which they need to be forgiven. So you can't both hold on to the sins you want forgiven and ask for forgiveness. You can't take hold of Jesus with an empty hand if you're clinging to the sin that you want Jesus to forgive. See, this is why repentance and forgiveness are inextricably linked. They're bound together. They're two sides of the same coin. Incidentally, I think I, I, I want to offer this as an encouragement to you because we live in a day where we have ready access to all kinds of resources and it's, it's a tremendous blessing. Blogs, online sermons, articles, books, journals, w whatever. And many of us are taking advantage of those things. Keep doing that. But a question that we always need to have in our minds to be discerning Christians is this. Is this does this teaching contain the call to... Turn from sin and trust in Jesus. Repentance and faith. Because if it doesn't, it's not the message of Jesus. It's not the message that Jesus has given to his people to spread throughout the earth. And what a wonderful message it is as we think about it for ourselves personally. You know, as I think about my own life, my own, my own sin, my own failures, the things for which I I'm deeply, deeply ashamed to know that there is good news for me. That in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is the offer of, of forgiveness, the possibility of cleansing and acceptance with God. And dear friends, this, this is the message that people truly need. I, wanna, I hope you're always listening carefully, but I, I want to plead with you to listen carefully for the next couple of minutes so I'm not under, misunderstood. 
You know, counseling and therapy are helpful, good, and often necessary things. But I sometimes wonder if in our therapeutic culture, how many people are forking out all kinds of money going to therapists and counselors who are giving them what are the equivalent of coping mechanisms when what these folks truly need is the forgiveness of sins and the cleansing of conscience that comes through that forgiveness, the freedom of knowing that you are a child of God, loved by your heavenly Father. Now, again, hear me clearly. I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, uh, the solution to every counseling problem is, well, you're a sinner and we need to see you repent of some sin or the solution is rooting out some hidden sin in your life and this problem will go away. That message is as unhelpful as it is unbiblical. I'm simply commenting on the times in which we live that there is a tendency, I think, in our time for people to look for all kinds of coping mechanisms when what many of them need deep down is the peace and joy and stability and security that Jesus gives his people when they trust in him. But you see what Jesus is saying with this message of faith and repentance, that you can't, you can't have that without turning to him. And the turning that he's talking about is a whole life turning. Right? A, a, a turning that involves a change of heart and a change of mind that leads to a change of life. It's, if, it's not a turning that, that merits or earns the forgiveness. It's that you can't embrace Jesus with empty hands so long as you're holding on to the very things Jesus came to rescue you from. And so the message of faith and repentance has to be held together. And we will we'll never know the joy and the peace and the security of belonging to Jesus unless we put down those things and turn to trust and follow Christ. We are kidding with ourselves if we think we can take comfort and faith in Jesus and never talk about repentance. And what a message this is for the world. You know, you can, you can imagine the disciples saying, you know, Jesus, we, we kind of, you know, we read the Old Testament kind of like this, that maybe a day would come when the nations would flock to Jerusalem. We never dreamed of a day when such good news would pour out from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And they couldn't see what we can now see from, from our vantage point over the last 2,000 years, nation upon nation upon nation where repentance and faith in Jesus has been proclaimed and the lives of men and women and boys and girls have been transformed by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus hasn't finished teaching his disciples yet. So how is this message going to go out? How's it going to get to the nations? Look at what Jesus says in verse 48. You are witnesses of these things. Now come again? Us? <laughs> yes, you, Jesus is saying. Now please understand that what Jesus is saying here is not limited to this small band of disciples in this first generation. He's, he's establishing a pattern that 
Those who received the forgiveness of sins will be those who bring the message of the forgiveness of sins to the nations. And if there was ever an indication of the absolute assurance that these men and women had that Christ had been raised from the dead, it was that this little group, at the start, there was only 120 of them. 120 of them in the city of Jerusalem. And they were the spirit-empowered force that started this world enterprise. So my friends, don't ever underestimate what God can do with a small band of disciples. But there's more. Jesus has something else he needs to share with them. He's, he's told them that they're going to witness to the nations. Okay, maybe they're thinking at this point, oh Jesus, that is a daunting commission. So we are, we're so glad that you're here with us. <coughs> we're so glad you've returned. Jesus says there's one more thing. I'm not going to be here much longer. But, and this is the fourth thing. So he's given them joy by giving them certainty about his resurrection, by opening their minds to the message of scripture, by giving them the great commission, and now by promising them the help of the Holy Spirit in their mission. I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. He's talking about what would occur on the day of Pentecost. It's in Acts chapter 2, if you want to read about it this afternoon. Here's here's the plan. You guys stay in Jerusalem because in a few weeks, this city is going to be bursting with people from all over the world. Now Luke tells us that's exactly what happened on that day. And on that day, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit upon you and you will receive power enabling you to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Holy Spirit power given to the church to witness to the world, to the crucified and risen Christ. The same Holy Spirit that dwells in your hearts through faith. My friends, it's amazing. Think about how, how many Holy Spirits are there. Right? There's, there's only one. The third person of the Trinity. The same Holy Spirit who from the moment of Jesus' human conception was his constant companion. Upholding him, strengthening him, guiding him, leading him, empowering him to fulfill his ministry. And Jesus is saying, don't, don't, don't you remember how on the night before my crucifixion I said to you, I'm, I'm going to go away. I'm going to appear before my Father and I'm going to ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit. And now I and the Father are going to send the Holy Spirit. So the same Holy Spirit who has empowered me, sustain me throughout the course of my earthly ministry to fulfill the mission that the Father has given to me. I am now sending him to you to empower you to fulfill the mission that I am entrusting to you. Therefore, go into all the world and make disciples. It's amazing what Jesus is saying here. And and then notice what happens at the end of the passage. First of all, their, their worship It overflows in obedience. They worshiped him and obediently returned to Jerusalem. And their obedience overflows with joy. And their joy overflows with worship. 
My friends, that's what happens when you come to know that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And that's it. That's the end of Luke's gospel. And so as we wrap up this morning, I just want to help us to see the big picture for a moment. Right? This, this commission that Jesus Christ has given to his followers. Do you, do you have the eyes to see today how that commission is being carried out and fulfilled even right here, right now? Right? Thousands of miles away from Jerusalem, across an ocean in a little city called Johnstown, Pennsylvania, and throughout the world. As the risen Lord Jesus continues to make his appeal to men and women and boys and girls to repent and trust in him, to turn from their sins, to trust in him and follow him. He's continuing to carry out his mission here on earth through his people. And as we wrap up, I just want, I want to simply ask you are, you, are you repenting and trusting? Has your mind been opened to the message of Scripture, which is Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ? Do you find your heart burning within you when Scripture is open to you? Do you have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught about Jesus from Luke's gospel? I, I want us to see this in, in all seriousness, friends, because the reality is, as long as the Lord sustains us, I plan to be back here next week continuing to make appeals to you from Scripture. But the reality is, Today is probably the last day that you will hear me ever make an appeal to you from the Gospel of Luke. So please hear the message of Luke. Jesus is a living Savior. And he calls us all to repent and trust in him. And if you have, by the grace of God, done that, then you can go forth today with exceeding joy. A joy that is greater than all of the troubles and trials of this life because Jesus Christ is risen and because Jesus Christ is coming again. So let's celebrate that with joy in just a moment as we come to the Lord's table. But let me close us in prayer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the Gospel of Luke. In this portrait of our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that he is more than a figure in a book, more than a good moral teacher, more than a man of history. He's your son, our savior. And we thank you for uh, all of the blessings that we experience in him, forgiveness of sins, acceptance with you. And we, we thank you that we have one another here in this room only because we have Jesus Christ. So we thank you for the great gifts that you have given to us in him. And may we continue to rejoice as we praise you for all that you've done for us in the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.